All right, if you'll turn with me to 1 Peter chapter number 3. We finished up chapter 2 last week, and we're going to get into chapter number 3. My goal is to get through the first seven verses of this chapter here this evening. And um, Peter is writing to the Jews that have been scattered abroad. These are Christians. These are believers. These are ones that grew up in the, the uh, traditions and, and uh, uh, religion of, of the Jews, the Old Testament. So these would be ones that would know the law, that would know um, how to live according to the law. Now they're believers in Christ. Now they're New Testament Christians. They're no longer uh, doing the law. They're now their faith and trust is in Jesus Christ. They're believing in him. They, they have looked to the cross for their salvation in Christ. And now this is a generation, a first-generation uh, uh, Christian that is trying to understand how to, how to function in a world that is against them. The government is against them, so Peter is dealing with the government. How to deal with the government? They're, they're persecuting them. Acts chapter number 12, Herod, the, the king, he kills James, and then he imprisons Peter for the intent of, of killing Peter simply because of their faith in Christ. So the, the government is against them. Religion, the religion they grew up under, now they're against them as well, and they're persecuted. And Peter is teaching them how to survive, how to live, and not just live or survive, but how to thrive as a Christian in a world of suffering. And, you know, the reality is this. We as Christians, we still, it's the same for us today. We need to learn how to live, how to thrive in a world where we endure suffering. Every Christian is going to suffer. The book of 1 Peter is about the journey of suffering, how to, how to deal with that. Peter is encouraging us to, to keep Christ the center of every relationship that we have. And he's even stretching us even further to where you must respond so that when others see how you respond, they see Christ. He puts a lot on the Christian. He puts a lot. But he does that because of what he ended chapter 2 with, because of what Christ has done for us. It isn't that we as a Christian must live and we don't have an example. He actually says that Jesus Christ is our example. Look with me in the last part of chapter number uh, uh, 2. He says, for, uh, verse number uh, 21, for even hereunto ye are called because Christ also suffered for us. So you can endure suffering because Christ suffered for us and, and uh, is an example. Um, he suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. So when he, was, when he was talked about, lied about, he didn't respond. When he, when he suffered, he didn't, he didn't uh, uh, if, if anyone could have said, you know, my father is going to get you, it's Christ. Mackenzie was in preschool, and um, I don't know why she did this, but she told her preschool teacher, she um, uh, one day just sitting in class, looks up at her, and she says, my dad can fire you. So she told the preschool teacher, my dad can fire you. 
I wish you would have told us. We didn't find that out until the end of the year, and the teacher was saying, yeah, you know, something really funny happened. And uh, she said, Mackenzie looked at me and said, you know, my dad can fire you. And I, th- I said, I wish you would have told me that, like, back when she said it. I can't believe she'd say- I was embarrassed. Michelle was embarrassed she would say such a thing. And it, that makes me think of this verse here. Jesus, who could have, he could have said, you know what my heavenly father, you know what my father can do? You know, you're, do you know who my father is? Not, not Joseph the carpenter. My father is like the creator of this universe. He's got like legions of angels that can come and just destroy you. You know, Jesus never said a word. He went to the cross. He suffered that agony, and he became that example that we should follow, he says. And so he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. So what he said was this. I know the Heavenly Father. He is the righteous judge. I'm going to commit myself to him. I'm not going to answer. I'm not going to revile. I'm not going to come back. I'm not going to try to, try to, try to uh, defend myself. I know the righteous judge, and he is the one that I'm accountable to. And that is the example that we as believers must follow the example of Christ we come to chapter number three chapter number three is a difficult chapter because he now he's going to begin to talk about the suffering that takes place in a marriage every marriage goes through suffering you know what I find it what what um, Peter's going through every relationship that you will have as a Christian is an opportunity for suffering and because of that opportunity for suffering it's also an opportunity for conflict when we suffer many a times it it causes conflict in our hearts especially when that suffering is caused by somebody that we love here he says this, likewise, ye wives. So that shows us it's a marriage relationship. This, ye wives, be, be in subjection to your own husbands that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plating of hair and wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of the meek and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner, in old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection under their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. Verse number seven, likewise ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. Let's pray, and we're going to get into these seven verses here tonight. Father, would you bless as we get into this passage of Scripture? Lord, it's easy to defend our position. It's easy to um, get upset when we're hurt. And as we're journeying through sorrow, it's difficult to remain faithful to you. But Lord, this book is teaching us how to do this. And in this relationship of a husband and wife, we see it here as well. And so teach us something tonight. I pray that we would learn in our relationships, make us more like Christ. May he be our example. And Lord, if there's any area in our life that you want to correct, 
I pray tonight that you would work, your Holy Spirit would work, and I pray that we'd be submissive so that you could perform your perfect work in us. And I ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. When a, when a man became a Christian, usually uh, he would bring his entire family into the church. And we, if you were to take the time to go to Acts chapter number 16, you would find where the Philippian jailer was saved and then all of his house. A lot of times you can, even in today's society, the same thing. If you could reach the husband in the home, most of the time then the entire family, then you can get into church. Oftentimes, though, when a woman who, especially in these times here, who became a Christian, usually she would come into the church alone. It wouldn't guarantee her husband coming into church with her. That would cause a problem, just like in today's society as well, in today's world, oftentimes that creates a very difficult problem when one spouse is saved in wanting to grow in Christ and the other spouse has no desire to be saved, no desire for spiritual things. That creates a very difficult situation because one has a desire to grow and become like Christ. The other, the other has no desire and it can cause a wedge in a marriage. Brother Yunizzi, Pastor Yunizzi, who's going to come into our marriage conference, he was, um, he married Michelle and I, and um, his, he got saved at probably 19 or so uh, uh, years old. His mother got saved first. His sister then got saved, and then he got saved, and his father was in the, in the mob in South Philly, actually ran numbers for the mob, and Dominic Yunizzi. Dominic was letting his family go to church, but he wanted nothing to do with it. Then all of a sudden, he saw a change taking place in his family's life, and he didn't like the change. Even though they would become honest and become Christ-like, that wasn't the change that he was desiring in his family, and so he, uh, he wanted to find out about this cult. And they were going to this small little church in southwest uh, uh, Philadelphia or South Philly at the time there. And, and so he decided that he was going to come and he was going to kill that preacher. So he came, with a, he came with a gun, with his pistol, came to Sunday night service. And what he was going to do is he was going to uh, uh, go to the church with his family. And then afterwards, he was going to meet up with the preacher and he was going to kill the, the pastor. Dennis Higgins was the pastor at the time because his family got involved in this cult and he just wasn't going to have it. So he showed up for a church service. That preacher preached and preached and preached and preached. And after the service, he went walking down that aisle, went right toward the preacher. And instead of pulling his gun and, and uh, killing the preacher that night, he kneeled down on his knees and he got saved. The Lord saved him. And could you imagine that? And he gives that testimony. He died of cancer several years back, but he gave that testimony of he went there that night and he was going to do harm to that preacher because his family was saved, his wife was saved, and something was wrong. They were a part of this cult, and he was going to put an end to it. The reality is this. Many a times, many a times, it does cause conflict. How do you then, and Peter is going to show in this marriage relationship, he's going to speak to the wife. He's also going to speak to the husband as well. I think in its context, you could use this. Maybe you are a, uh, you, you're saved and maybe your husband is not saved. And how do you respond to that then? 
Maybe you're saved and your husband isn't living for the Lord and you have a desire to grow and be involved in the things of God and, 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 and grow in Christ and there's not that desire there. How do you respond to that? Peter gives us an example, and we're going to see that this evening. The same, same thing would be true with the husband here as well. And so we're going to look, first of all, we're just going to look at two things here this evening. And uh, first of all, we're going to look at the testimony of a Christian wife. Okay? Now, ladies, apply this. Maybe you're sitting here saying, I'm not, I'm not married right now, or, or, or I'm not, I'm not uh, uh, maybe I'm divorced, or maybe I'm single. And just anything here tonight you can apply to your life. Okay, and and uh, how to how to behave, how to how to act, the testimony of a Christian wife. So we find here he says, "It's likewise, you wives, be be in subjection to your own husband, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the com- uh, conversation of the wife." When he says this, with any uh, not obey the word, he's speaking of if the husband doesn't obey the word. So if the husband is not a believer, the husband is not obeying the word. He said this, that you weigh your conversation, that conversation here is more than just words you say, it's your lifestyle. It's what you say and how you live. So he says this, if, if anyone here has a husband that's not a believer, someone that's not obedient to the word, somebody maybe that's uh, uh, backslidden, somebody that just is, is, is not obeying the word, that you, through your life, through what you say and through how you live, you will be a testimony to your husband or your spouse. He may be one. That word meaning one there is him either turning to Christ uh, as, a, as a believer or if he's not, not walking with the Lord, one back to the Lord. And so he puts a lot here on the wife. He says this, there's a correct way to behave. There's a correct way to act because it is a big responsibility. If you're married to someone that is not following after the Lord, you can help them in their walk with the Lord. Every single spouse should desire to help encourage their spouse to have a relationship with the Lord. And so Peter is going to teach us how. So the testimony, the testimony of a Christian wife. I want us to look first at the responsibility of the wife's actions. There's a responsibility here of the wife's actions. In the testimony of a Christian wife, there is responsibility there. Now, responsibility is, is a good word. It's something every single one of us need, but it's not always easy. I was just talking to one of our uh, church members here about their kids and he, uh, during a testimony time, and he said, I'm, I'm instilling my, uh, into my son a work ethic. Wonderful thing to do. Don't you wish it just came natural? Don't you wish the things you want in somebody else just, just happened? I get frustrated if I want something out of somebody and they're not there. Well, you know, there is a responsibility. And what he is going to teach here is this. There is a responsibility to the wife. He's speaking specifically to, to wives here. There is a responsibility on how you act. He shows, us, he shows us in this, number one, I want you to write this down. In how you act, your actions must always be an example of Christ. How you behave, how, what you say, it's always got to be an example of Christ. Our actions should always point to how a husband then would be one to Christ or one here as he says in verse number one, one by the conversation of the wives is that he can clearly see 
Christ in the actions of his wife. Conviction comes when someone is portraying Christ, and Christ then can work in the life of somebody else. So we find here, we find the testimony, the responsibility of the wife's action is, number one, to be the example of Christ, and number two is to be controlled in their tongue and in their lifestyle. Now James talks a lot about, we studied the book of James, James talks a lot about the tongue. If a wife has a, has a husband that is not following after the Lord, there is great responsibility there for her to show him the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean, the Bible says in this same verse, to be subject. It doesn't mean that she then begins to lead the home and, and uh, uh, cause conflict there. It means this, in every opportunity that she has, she is to show Christ. Behave as Christ. Now, you say this, how do I behave like Christ? I'm glad you asked that. That's why that word likewise is there. What do we do? We go back up to verse number two and we say this. So if I am a wife, what do I do? How do I behave? The Bible says this, for hereunto were ye called because Christ also suffered. He is talking here in these first seven verses about suffering that comes in the relationship of marriage. All right? In studying the book, now, why I love to do book studies is in studying it, you take everything in context. Everything builds on, on the previous. So when he says likewise, what is he speaking of? Let's go back. How can I behave like Christ? If I'm a, a, a wife and I am wanting to win my husband by my conversation, by my, my words, by my actions, what does that look like? I want to show you exactly what it looks like. Go back up to verse number 21. For hereunto you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. He's to be our example, that we should follow his steps. So a wife that wants to win her husband must live in such a way where she is in her conversation, she is using Christ as the example in following in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he was threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. What she must do is follow Christ's example in, in, in serving, in submitting here. He uses that word in verse number one. As the example in her conversation, she must constantly be looking to bring peace into that relationship. Satan would desire to continue to bring obstacles and fighting. Your, your testimony tonight, Lindsay, remind me, as you're talking about the armor of God, it reminded me that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. Satan would love every opportunity to bring in bickering and fighting and evil speaking into a marriage and bring a wedge there. The responsibility here of the wife that is a Christian that wants to win her husband by her conversation is what she's going to do is she's going to speak peace into that marriage. She's going to speak joy into that marriage. She's going to live a life, live in such a way where she's looking for opportunities to minister to her husband. And this is something that would have to be done on purpose because our flesh, it would be difficult. And then not only is it our flesh, we've got an enemy that's going to constantly try to destroy this relationship. The Christian wife must be always aware that her behavior 
is what can, what can bring your husband to the place of receiving the gospel. Now, I know the Holy Spirit has to, has to convict, and I understand that. But she must constantly be aware that her actions, her actions can bring her husband to a place where he desires to learn more of the gospel. Her desire, when he sees her, the Bible talks about in, in uh, chapter number Number two as well, look with me in verse number 15. For so, is, for so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. There's accusations that will be made because you are a believer in Christ. And he says here, the will of God is for you to be, do well-doing to, to do well doing here. In, uh, 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 with that, that with well-doing, he may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. There is going to be tension in a home when one, one spouse desires to serve the Lord and the other one may not have that desire or maybe is lost and that desire doesn't exist. And that's going to bring tension to the home. And what, what we find Peter saying is this, you can, you can bring silence, you can silence those foolish men by you continuing to have a spirit of doing well bless them there will always be opportunities to fight Satan will magnify those opportunities how many of you I won't ask you to raise your hand but how many of you in in a relationship you don't have to look for a fight there's always one right there all you gotta do is pick it up it's there waiting for you Satan will just keep pouring these. And then what he can do is he can magnify these things to the place where it just annoys you. It just, it's a place where you just can't feel like you can take it anymore. And what, what Peter is saying in those times, how to silence that foolish man, how to silence those that maybe are, are mocking you. And these are people that love you. This is a, a marriage relationship. There is going to be tension that comes. How do you handle that when that tension comes? You deal with them with well doing you're on purpose seek to bless them it's not that you are going to look for an opportunity to fight but even when one arises you look for an opportunity to avoid it and bless them so the Christian wife must always 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 be aware that her behavior is one that can help bring her husband into a better relation with the Lord. I want us to see uh, next under the, the responsibility of the Christian wife, the responsibility of her, the wife's appearance. We um, had great, how many of you have great dinner conversations in your home? A couple of you. How many of you have dinner in your home? Okay. My wife, it's her, we, we have to eat. No one's allowed to eat in different rooms. You have to eat at the table and we have to eat as a family. That's just her rule. And sometimes the conversations that come up at our dinner table is just great. Tonight was one of those great dinner conversations. So dad, what are you preaching on? Well, I think one of the kids prayed that I'd preach well or preach good or something like that tonight. And so then somebody says, dad, what are you preaching on? I said, I'm in the book of uh, uh, first Peter. And I said, I'm preaching on women not wearing makeup and doing their hair. And one of the girls looked at mom and she had makeup on. And I said, they're not allowed to braid their hair. And the other one looked at Mackenzie and Mackenzie had braids on and she looked at me. And Jacob said, you are a bad husband and father. 
you're going to preach in your own kids. And I said, and then he got on his phone and he opened up the scripture and he says, Dad, it also says, it also says, I thought this was pretty comical. It also says here, um, or a putting on of apparel. <laughs> See, I had to think on that one. What's he talking about here? What's he talking about in verse number two? He is talking about the responsibility of the wife's appearance. Peter is not suggesting that in outward uh, uh, that that our outward appearance that we should be unkept or or unclean. He's not suggesting that. It's not what he's suggesting here at all. I want you to turn with me. Um, if I can get someone, would you turn to First Peter, chapter two? Kurt, would you would you help me too? I'm gonna I've got a couple verses here. I'm gonna get to here. Um, Ephesians five twenty five. Could you turn there? I'll get to you in just a little bit here, but you have First Peter chapter two verse nine. For ye are chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. All right. When Peter is going to discuss here, mark that down and use that in your study here. We're going to find what he's talking about. He's not talking about to, that we shouldn't care about our, our, our outward appearance. What he's talking about is our outward appearance. We should not seek to disguise who we are by our outward appearance. My wife showed me a video of a lady that was putting on makeup. She was watching this video and she just started laughing. And when she laughs, and I know she's watching a video, I, I'm always interested. What, what are you looking at? And she showed me this picture. She said, see this picture of this lady? I said, yeah. She said, what do you think? I said, she's pretty. Not as pretty as you, but she's pretty. <laughs> and she showed me a, fast forward the video a little bit and, and uh, started the video. And the lady she showed me to start with, and then the lady in the video looked nothing alike. I mean, night and day. Like when the one you looked, yeah, she's pretty, not as pretty as you. The other one, you're like, whoa, who's that? And she said, it's the same person. I said, there's no way. She says, watch this video. And this lady sits in front of this, this, this mirror, and by the time she's done with everything she's doing, I'm telling you, she looked like a different person. She wasn't the same person. Peter here is talking about the amount of time or the effort then that's putting into the outward appearance when the emphasis ought to be put on the inward the inward, and we're going to talk about that here in just a moment. He's not suggesting that our outward appearance ought to be unkept or unclean. The inward spirit is always, always needing to be tended to. Our goal is to always cause our inward spirit to be Christ-like. And here what he's doing is he's causing uh, the, the, the wife here not to put her emphasis on outward things, but to put emphasis on the inward because her responsibility is to show her husband Christ. And she could be the most beautiful on the outward, but if she's not caring for the inward and becoming like Christ, the outward is not going to win her husband's heart to the Lord. It's going to, it's going to be won to the Lord by how she responds, the person on the inside. Outward beauty can only last so long. Have you ever seen a picture of someone when they were younger? 
How many of you ever made the mistake when someone showed you a picture when they were, and you said, wow, you were beautiful? <laughs> oh, you were beautiful. I meant to say, you are beautiful. I made that mistake. I was visiting a family in our church last week and they brought out all the pictures and I was looking through and they showed me the picture when they got married and I made that mistake and I didn't mean anything by it but after I said it I thought did I just say you were beautiful they didn't catch it I'm glad at times maybe the older in life that we get at times maybe we need to help with the outward beauty I'm trying to be sensitive with this Physical beauty fades. It's very difficult. It's very difficult to maintain that physical beauty. But the inward person can always become more beautiful. Physically, it's going to fade. But inwardly, I don't have to have that same downhill spiral that, that, that life gives to the outward appearance. The older I get, boy, it just seems the more problems I have, the more uh, uh, situations I have, the more doctor's appointment I have, the more help I need in some areas. But spiritually inside, I can be more beautiful inwardly the older I get. And that's where I believe Peter is showing us the outward beauty can only last so long. You're going to win your heart of your husband to the Lord when you are taking the time and you're continuing to grow inwardly. There's no, there's no, there's no ceiling to that. You can continually grow. Age and time can help a, help a wife here become more Christ-like. More time with Christ makes that inner beauty even more beautiful. And it's the time taking on that inward beauty that's going to win the heart of the husband. Physical beauty fades. But spiritual beauty can always increase. I can be better inside today than I was yesterday. I can be closer to the Lord today than I was 10, 10 years ago. Physically, though, that's going to be difficult. And I believe he's using that example not, not, to, not to spend so much time on something, on something that is not of value. Don't spend time on something that is going to fade. Spend time on maturing as a Christian. Spend time on the inward, becoming more like Christ. That is what's going to win a husband. And ultimately, that ought to be the goal of a wife, that husband doesn't know the Lord or husband's away from the Lord, to grow close to the Lord in such a way to where he sees that in her and he then has a desire to serve the Lord or to be saved because of what he sees, how she's growing on the inside. Number two, the adorning is to add beauty to hide the natural. The adorning here, when he talks about adorning yourself, that is to add beauty to hide what naturally I am. So I add something to the outside to disguise or, or be something I'm not in what he's suggesting here as a Christian wife then to get her husband to serve the Lord or to be saved is show him truly who you are in Christ. Grow as a Christian. Verse number four, if you'll look there with me, but let, let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the uh, uh, ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. 
We're to show the work of Christ. That we're to show our husband the work that Christ has done in our hearts. What Christ does is for the eternal, not the temporal. What Christ does is Christ makes the inward person beautiful. The closer you get to the Lord. Do you ever, do you ever, do you ever meet someone that just has a sweet spirit? I mean, you just, you know they're with the Lord. You hear them pray. They're encouraging. You don't even pay attention of what they look like because of what you're attracted to on the inside. Do you know people like that? Where it's not about the temporal. It's about how you feel. It's about your desire to get close to the Lord. It's about when you walk away, you say, I want to be like that person because that person reminds me of Christ. And that's here what Peter is helping the wife to realize this. It's about the eternal, not about the temporal. When Christ does a work in your heart, he's doing a work for the eternal. He's working on you, and you now have the benefit to help someone else that you love to become what Christ wants them to become because of what he's doing in your life. The value that Christ adds to a person's life is based on the value of the cross. It, cro- it costs Christ life so that you can have something of eternal to give to someone that you love. You know what I thought about this? What, a, what an amazing thing because of salvation that I get to enjoy marriage here on this earth and then eternity with that person as well. And I'm not going to get into are we married in heaven. I don't believe that we will be anyways like the relationship we are here on earth. But I get to spend eternity with the one I get to spend my life with. Well, what a blessing that is. You say, well, I'm not in that place. My spouse isn't saved. Then you have the opportunity, you have the privilege to live for Christ, to let Christ be seen through you so that that person can respond to Christ because of how they see Christ affecting your heart. You have the opportunity to show someone Christ so that they can be saved so that you can spend eternity with that person. That's a wonderful thing. Write this down, number two, and we're going to hurry here. Verse number seven. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to the knowledge, giving honor unto the wife. Giving honor unto the wife. Circle that, men. Ephesians 5.25. Who's got Ephesians? Kurt, do you have that? Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Um, Pastor Oscar, would you get to Colossians 3.19? Colossians 3.19. Husbands, love your wives, bitter against them. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. So we find where Paul is speaking to the, uh, to the husbands about how they are to love their wives and how to treat their wives. And here we find in verse number seven, he says, likewise, ye husbands. Now he's speaking to husbands. Dwell with them according to the knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Now, when Peter 
Peter is saying weaker vessel. He's not implying moral or intellectual inferiority there. He's not suggesting that women aren't as smart or, or morally inferior to men. That's not what he's suggesting there. He's suggesting there that we as husbands, we show honor. We have, we have a couple sets of dishes in our house, in, and uh, my wife actually bought a set so that the kids didn't keep breaking them as they were washing them. But then we've got a set of dishes that she likes to use when company comes over, and we, she treats those very, very well. It's not something that the kids just kind of throw around. Most of the time, if not all the time, it's something that she'll hand wash and then put in the dishwasher herself, and then she'll take out and she'll put them away or ask my help to put them away. Normally, she doesn't put, depend upon the kids to put that away because you could tell if you open her closet or her cabinets the dishes that the kids do. My wife went to all white dishes so that people couldn't see the chips on the, on the darker dishes because it just seems like they get banged around and tossed around and, and there's just no, no respect. Just get them cleaned. Peter here is speaking and saying, number one, men, that we are to show honor. Show honor. Weaker, the weaker vessel is to show honor to, to care for. To treat a certain way. You care for it. There's special care. Every husband should bring to give their wife special care. He's not, you, not suggesting there that the wife in being a weaker vessel is a servant or a slave to the husband. That's not what he's suggesting at all. It's actually the opposite. It's to be cared for in such a way to where we honor them and we cherish them and we treat them correctly. Not something we just throw around, not something that we neglect, but something that we actually care for, we protect it. To honor it means we protect it. To honor it, you, you don't take advantage of that relationship. We cherish that relationship. A man, in order to, to um, honor his wife, he must respect her. Something that you honor, you don't talk down to. You don't criticize. You don't belittle. You don't, you don't treat in such a way to where, 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 where your words cause them to be insecure and feel inferior. A husband is to treat their wife, a Christian husband is to treat their wife in such a way where there is a building up continually to helping her become like Christ. He's an example of how Christ loved the church and he's always caring, he's always loving, he's always building up, he's cherishing that relationship and he's respecting that relationship. Husbands, you shouldn't talk crude to your wife. She's your wife. You should honor her. If there's someone that you talk precious to and tender to, it ought to be the wife. Because your job is to honor them and to build them up. He talks of helping. A man ought to continually help his wife. If a man feels like when I get home, there's no, I have no more responsibility except to be served, he has the wrong idea of what a Christian husband should be. He's helping them. He's encouraging them. If you come home and she's doing her thing and you're doing her thing, then you're not there building each other up. And so he's there helping and stay faithful to her. A Christian husband should stay faithful in their thoughts and in their actions. Because you cherish, you love, you're faithful to something that you're honoring. 
He belong, uh, behaves as if she were a gift of great price. Every Christian husband ought to respond to his wife in such a way where she feels like I am a gift of great price. How many of you have something expensive in your home that you really like? Do you just throw it anywhere? My wife, she'll take off, sometimes she'll take off her wedding rings and she's doing something. But she'll take them off and she'll put them in a special spot. The reason why is, I think this might have happened once. They don't always stay in the trap, in the sink. <laughs> and so stop that water real quick and go get them if they get down in that water. There's things that are important. And you treat those things very important. And that is the relationship a Christian husband ought to have for his wife is he's treating that relationship like it is the most precious relationship that he has. It's a gift of great price. It's not something, it's not something, oh, well, if this doesn't work, then I can always get another gift. Oh, well, this gift isn't really that good, so I don't have to treat it well. Every relationship, if God has given you a wife, he has given you something of great price, and it should be dealt with that, that way treated that way how do I deal with her great price number one write this down sensitive to her needs listen husbands it's it's unfair and it's foolish to just use the excuse I don't understand what her needs are well then understand what her needs are and be a good Christian husband seek to understand well, I read the book that men are from Mars and women are from Venus. And the conclusion of that book is they're never going to get along. Well, I read the Bible. And I don't believe that God would put two people together whose purpose is to exalt Christ and say that you can't get along. What has to happen is this. The husband has to seek to understand. We would never let that go. My daughter comes home with homework, and, Dad, I don't understand this math. Well, you know what? If you can't understand it, don't do it. And go back and tell the teacher I said so. Because if you can't get it, forget it. You know what I say to her? Let's try to understand this. Two plus two is what? Try to understand it. If we gave up on everything in life that we just didn't understand initially, we'd give up on everything. The marriage relationship is difficult. The marriage relationship is hard. But Peter is challenging the Christian husband here, the husband that, that wants to uh, win his wife, the husband that wants to be the spiritual leader in his home, to cherish and honor that relationship. And honoring that is this, seeking to understand so that you can minister to. Relate to her with courtesy. You know, a Christian husband and wife, they should be an example. They should be an example of how two people that are following Christ behave. You ought to be courteous. This is a prized possession, and I need to relate to her that way. Number three, show consideration. When God says uh, through, through inspiration of the Holy Spirit to Peter, the wives would be subjection, it does not mean that they're married to a dictator who he gets his way all the time. That's not what it is. 
in honoring someone, you're showing them consideration. A marriage, a Christian marriage, should be one where both are communicating, not one person telling everyone else what's going to happen. There should be communication there. Why should there be communication there? Why should be, that be there? Because to honor something, you show consideration. And in order for me to have a relationship with my wife that's pleasing and honoring the Lord, then there ought to be some consideration there. Marriage is something I want to do together. Honoring the Lord is something I want to do together. Consideration. But when I was talking about the ladies, there was a lot of, I could sense it. I get on the men, it's like, whoa, he just went there. That's tough. <laughs> Number four, men. He speaks to her with tact. He speaks to her with tact. He chooses his words wisely. I want to model in my home what my daughters are going to look for in a husband. I want them to be able to evaluate and see, not accept someone that would talk down to them, someone that would belittle them. We ought to speak to our wives with tact, meaning this, I'm choosing my words wisely. So even in conflict, I can be uplifting. There are times you're going to have conflict in your marriage constantly. Don't add to that conflict because of unwise words. You know what happens a lot of times that conflict comes? And then the issue becomes about what you said, not even about that conflict anymore. You don't even realize what the conflict was. You can't remember what you're fighting about. All I remember is what you said in the fight. And later on, that gets deep down inside of somebody and the reason for the argument may never come up again, but the words that were used in that argument can constantly come back up and cause conflict in a marriage. That's because you chose to speak without honor, without using tact, and your words now are going to cause a problem in a relationship. And when that conflict comes, your relationship then is not going to be something that's bringing honor and glory to Christ. It's going to be something that is full of conflict and tension. Next here, write this down. The husband, his responsibility, he values his relationship with God through his relationship with his wife. Now, I'll show you this and I'll be done. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. I believe this. My relationship with my wife is a direct relationship that I have with the Lord. My relationship I have with the Lord is the relationship that I'm going to be able to have with my wife. If there's dishonor, if there's, there's things that I'm doing that is not correct in that relationship, it shows, it shows my wife, my relationship with the Lord. Because when I'm right with the Lord and my relationship with the Lord is right, that I'm not short with her and I'm not showing her dishonor. 
When my time with the Lord is where it needs to be, when, when, when I am where I need to be in my relationship with the Lord, I am treating my wife with the respect that she needs, with the honor that she needs. And I know that I'm doing that because it's right here. When it's not right here, I normally take it out on my spouse. My wife said to me one time, not, not to be unkind, not to be mean, but she said to me one time, she says, you haven't prayed much today, have you? I couldn't believe she said such a thing. You haven't prayed much, have you? I know what she was saying. I could tell it's not all right here because of what we're dealing with right now. Boy, that was like a slap in the face. Am I the only, has anyone ever said that to their husband? You've had it too? You're shaking your head. You have that feeling? Boy, that was like convicting. But it's revealing. You know what I find? I, can, I value my relationship with God through her. I want to be right with her so that I can be right with the Lord. I want my prayers answered. I can't dishonor her. I can't be unkind to her. I can't, I can't have affections for others. I've got to treat her like she is my prized possession. I've got to treat her like she is that weaker vessel. I've got to show honor to her because I desire to have the right relationship with the Lord. You'll never have the relationship God wants to have with you when your relationship with your wife isn't correct. It's a direct correlation between, between you and your wife, between you and your relationship with the Lord. My prayers are answered when I'm right with my wife. God hears me. My relationship with the Lord then isn't going to be hindered because I'm honoring the one that God has given me. I don't believe that you can properly love what you don't see if you can't properly love what you do see. How do I honor the relationship with the Lord who I can't see if I can't honor the relationship with my spouse who the Lord gave me that I see every day? How can I be faithful to the Lord if I can't be faithful to the wife that God gave me? And if I can be faithful to her and honor her, what I do see, the person I do see, I have a much better chance of being faithful and honoring the Lord who I can't see. See how the two connect? I know what you're thinking. The marriage conference isn't until March 10th. I'm just going verse by verse. <laughs> I know some of you are thinking, did you listen to our conversation on the way in today? Have you been in our home this week? Peter knows they're suffering even in the marriage relationship. Every relationship needs to be handled correctly. Suffering is going to come. If you don't handle it correctly, consequences come. 